Welcome to the College Ministry Podcast. My name is Trevor Weaker, and I'm one of the College Ministry Assistants here at Living Hope. Uh, this week's sermon is over Ruth chapter 2 as we study God's providence. Thank you for joining us, and I hope it serves you well. Well, I think that we can officially say that uh, winter is over. I don't know if you all have been outside this week, but the weather has changed and things are looking great. Uh, the weather has been beautiful this week. It's kind of funny to me that just a few weeks ago we were outside enjoying the snow, enjoying our time away from school, and now uh, there was a group of us who were hanging out on South Lawn enjoying the, the hot sun this week. So it's just interesting the way uh, that the weather has changed so quickly. I remember when I was in school, uh, when I was younger, we had these weird rituals that we would do uh, during the winter time. When there was any chance of snow um, that we thought, you know, we thought we'd get off from school from, at the end of the day, before going home from class or from school, uh, all of our friends would say, make sure you put a spoon under your pillow tonight. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before. I'd never heard of it until I moved to Kentucky, so I wasn't sure if it was a Kentucky thing or not. Um, they, we, would do, we would put a spoon under our pillow before bed, and then we would flush ice cubes down the toilet. So super weird. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of anything like that. Uh, but I just remember everyone doing that. And so I'd go home just wishing and, and hopeful that um, I'd wake up the next day, look out the window, and that it, had, it would be, be snowing. And then my mom would have sent me a text that said, hey, no school today. Uh, but most of the time, it seems like I, I woke up, went to the window and looked outside and there was no snow on the ground. Uh, and that was always a, a bummer for me. But I don't have the ability, and these rituals don't have the ability of controlling the weather and doing these different things. Uh, but there is a God who is in control of things. Uh, there is a God who can control all things. And as I was thinking about this, as I was preparing for us uh, to go through Ruth 2 tonight, I was thinking about the old song that you guys probably uh, learned when you all were younger, that God has the whole world in his hands. And that's something that we've all heard, probably, that song. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I don't know if you've thought much about that, if you've thought about what that means. What does it mean that God has the whole world in his hands? And I haven't either. And I think that this is obviously a very human way for us to describe God. But I think that the message that it's trying to tell us is very clear, that God is in control. And like we, stuck, we, like we discussed last week, our God is sovereign. He's not just sovereign over Ruth's story in Ruth chapter one, like we observed, but over your story and my story. He's in control of the world. He's in control of the wind and the waves, the stars in the sky, they're exactly where God put them. And as Psalm 119 verse 91 tells us, all things are God's servants. This is what we saw last week as God ordained Ruth and Naomi's path from Moab back to Bethlehem bringing them from a place of famine into a time of harvest. However, things for Ruth and Naomi are going to be difficult. These are two women, two widows. Ruth is a foreigner, and they don't have anyone to provide for them. Ruth has committed herself to, to staying with Naomi, providing for Naomi, but they're in need of food and of water, probably even shelter. We don't know too much, but what we do know is that life for the two of them was going to be quite difficult. What we're going to see this evening is that God is still at work in their story. God's plan for Ruth and Naomi wasn't just to bring them back to Bethlehem. That's not where God's plan stopped for them. And we're going to see that as we continue studying the book of Ruth. 
He didn't want to leave them as two widows, husbandless in a new city, but his plan is going to continue. Just like last week, we trace the difficult path that these two women have experienced to be where they're at now. And now we're going to begin to see the way that God is providing for Ruth in this difficult and unknown situation, in this new place where she's at. For their good, according to his plan, and for his glory. And this is what we call God's providence. Last week, we talked about how our God is sovereign, and this week, we're gonna talk about God's providence. And they're very similar words. I think they, they go together, but sovereignty can be explained as God's authority and his power over creation. Basically, that God has the whole world in his hands. God has power over all things. He is in control. We can describe God's providence as his wise and purposeful sovereignty. To put it much uh, more simply, God's providence describes the way in which God is providing for his people through his specific plans. So tonight we're gonna look at four different ways that we see God provide for Ruth and think about how God provides for us in these same ways as well. So if you would flip with me to chapter two of the book of Ruth, and the first thing that we'll see here tonight is that in God's providence, he provides direction. In God's providence, he, just, he provides direction. Throughout chapter one, we saw the way that God's sovereign hand brought Ruth and Naomi into Bethlehem. But now they're husbandless and they're alone and the future for them doesn't seem great. And if you remember, at the very end of chapter one, Naomi spoke about her misery about how bitter she felt towards the Lord and how awfully she had felt like he had treated her. She's empty. And at this point in the story, they're hungry. They don't know what to do. They're in a new place. They're unhappy. They're confused. They've lost everything. And now they're here in Bethlehem <clears throat> trying to decide what to do next. So let's read verses two and three and see what they decide to do. It says, and Ruth the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. She said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. <clears throat> so what we see here is that Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the outsider, the daughter-in-law, the widow, the foreigner, has just made the decision to go out among the harvest where God has brought them and to see if anyone is gonna allow her to take some of the leftovers of their grain behind the rest of the harvesters. Naomi gives her a blessing and Ruth goes out. And now knowing what we know about chapter one, we should know that God is the one who is directing their paths. After everything we know about how God brought them through their difficult situation, all the way from Moab back into Bethlehem, we, we shouldn't assume that God would just all of a sudden stop leading them in different places. What I love about this story is that um, in verse three, it's kind of ironic, but as it describes Ruth walking into the field, it says that she just happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And even if we don't know anything about Boaz, we can know that this was no accident. This wasn't just coincidental. God had directed her here. And the end of verse three tells us basically that Boaz is a distant relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband who just passed. Their closest relative, an ally. And verse one tells us that he was a worthy man, 
I mean, this is as good as it can get. Picture yourself in Naomi and Ruth's shoes. They're, they've traveled from a distant land, and now Ruth, who has is, who is basically made a covenant with Naomi that she's going to, uh, to help her and to provide with her and to stay with her and even be buried with her, has now made the decision to walk out among a harvest where she knows no one. But she comes to the man who knows of her, who knows of her family, who knows of Naomi. It's day one of the harvest. Ruth walks out and she stumbles upon the family farm. Most of us here at this stage of life where we probably get asked a couple of questions every once in a while, maybe at a, like family holidays or get togethers, or maybe when you see someone that you haven't seen in a while, like what's your major? Or what are you planning to do this summer? Or what's next? What are you gonna do with your life? And I think for some of us, that's probably a sore spot. That's probably not something that we wanna talk about all the time because we're unsure. We're not too confident in what we're gonna do. Maybe you're unsure of what is next and you're sitting here and that's been on your mind today. You've been thinking, I don't know what's come, gonna come next. You know, we're halfway through the semester. It's crazy, the, the, the semester is gonna come to a close quicker than, than we may like to believe. And we have no idea what's coming next. Something that I think is important for us to see in this story is that Ruth had no idea what she was walking into, but she knew her God and she knew that she had devoted herself to being obedient to him. She had made her, his, her, him her God. And so she's walked out into the harvest. Ruth is hungry and she's determined to provide for Naomi. And rather than waiting for a sign in the sky, she says, I am going to go out and glean among whoever's sight I find favor. She didn't wait until she met Boaz, until Boaz came to her, but she went out in obedience. And fortunately, it's not just however, but God brought her to Boaz, which is such a cool thing. And well, as we continue studying the book of Ruth, this will become so much more beautiful to us to see just the way that God has been working in the story of Ruth. He wants us to be like Ruth. God wants us to be like Ruth and keep, keep walking out. Ruth did all that she could do. She was obedient. She was going wherever she saw opportunity. She did all that she could do and God did what only he can do and he provided for her. He provided her with the right direction. So God provides in his providence, he provides us direction. The second thing that we see is that in God's providence, he provides protection. I've noted this a little bit, but it's, it's worth noting here again that what Ruth did would have been dangerous for her. She was not merely Ruth the widow, but chapter one makes it explicitly clear that Ruth is Ruth the Moabite. Ruth, the one that is not from here. Ruth, the outsider. And contextually, Israel is living in a time with no king and the people are living as they please. So she may have had to deal with the fear of being assaulted or killed. I imagine there was a lot of danger. I imagine that she was unsure of what she was walking into, probably nervous, but she was committed to providing for Naomi. So even after weighing the cost, she still goes. Now let's read uh, verses eight through 13. It says, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why? 
Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Now you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So after meeting Boaz, Boaz immediately responds by offering Ruth his protection. And just as God had ordered this, his, her steps from Moab into Naomi's family and then all the way to Bethlehem, of course, God would also bring her to the worthy man, Boaz. Boaz says, come and glean in my fields, be with my people, and I've already warned my men to leave you alone. Come and drink our water and harvest our grain and don't go anywhere else, but keep close and as, as long as you're with me, you'll be safe. Boaz in this moment took all of her fears, her fears of being alone with no one to provide, her fears of being a foreigner in a place where she knows nobody, fears of being harmed by men, and Boaz meets those fears, not only by giving her permission to, to reap in, her, in his fields, but by treating her the same way he would have treated any of his servants, bringing her in and not treating her like Ruth the Moabite, but treating her as Ruth, one of us, an insider, not an outsider. And, and look at the way that she responds in verse 10. This is what humility before God looks like. She could not have been more vulnerable a young, single, foreign woman alone, but God has provided for her richly. And she knows this. She knows that this story doesn't make sense. And she falls on her face before Boaz and asks, why? Something that I thought was really cool as I was studying for this is that God didn't just provide protection for her in this instance, but he provided for her as he was giving Israel the law hundreds of years before if you would flip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19 through 22. This is really cool. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 through 22. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. And this is Ruth. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, God is making a way for Ruth. This is a command from God written hundreds of years prior that is written specifically for Ruth the Moabite. It fits her situation and her story to a T. And how great is it to think that God has been providing for us long before we ever existed. That before Ruth was Ruth the Moabite or Ruth the widow or Ruth the wife or even Ruth at all, God was making a way for Ruth. In this moment, he knew his plan for Ruth. And I want to ask you guys, if, if that's something that you believe to be true, if that's something that you think is an accurate description of your God, 
that he has the whole world in his hands, that he provides for his people. Is that something that you believe to be true? <clears throat> Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, speaks of God as the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or do you believe in the God that Job speaks about? In Job chapter 42, verse two, we're in the midst of this awful and horrible suffering. Job cries out, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is what God is trying to show us in the story of Ruth in the provision that he has made through Boaz and in the rest of her story as we continue studying this. Long before Ruth walked out into the field and long before Ruth was in a new city and long before Ruth was ever a part of this family, God had a plan and he will accomplish his plans. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, God says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. It's that simple. God's counsel shall stand and he will accomplish my purpose. God is a provider. And this is true throughout the whole Bible. We see over and over again, God providing and making a way for his people. So next we see that in God's providence, he provides for our needs. In God's providence, he provides for our needs. <clears throat> and already for us, this should be clear. We, we've seen this throughout the story so far. If God wants us to see his providence, we have the opportunity to see it so far, but let's continue looking at the story and see the way that as Boaz meets Ruth, he not only gives her permission to glean in the fields, offers her protection from other men and the status of a servant, but he goes above and beyond for Ruth. And though Boaz is the one who's showing his favor to Ruth in this story, I want us to be reminded that this is not just a story about Ruth, but this is a story about our God and the way that he is providing Boaz being his instrument. <clears throat> so let's look at verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> it says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. And then she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So Boaz here, he invites Ruth inside for a meal. And it says that she eats until she's satisfied and then she even has some left over, plenty left over. Boaz then asks the men to let Ruth have some of what they were gleaning and from, um, uh, from that day. And he tells the men even to drop some behind them. Specifically, as they go back out into the field to, to leave some behind them that Ruth specifically can pick up. <clears throat> and what grace this is from Boaz. You know, Ruth has no control over the favor that she has found today. It's just being lavished upon her. And the longer she stays in his presence, the deep riches of his grace continue proving to bless Ruth, meet her needs, and provide in abundance for her. 
and still she does not let off the gas. This is something that I think is important for us to see about Ruth. When she found favor in the eyes of Boaz, she found enough to eat and to be content on, and she probably had enough to go home um, already at this point from the day. She went back out to the field and kept working. She saves her leftovers for Naomi. She goes back out into the field to work, and she worked all day until the evening. And she returned home with about an ephah of of barley. I don't know if we have any barley experts in here or anything. I don't know anything about barley, and I have no idea what an ephah is. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Uh, But I did some research, and an ephah is about basically five days worth of barley that she she had collected. So it's day one. Imagine doing um, 40 hours of work in one eight-hour workday. She's getting everything done in the, in, the, in the first day. That's a nice feeling to, to, to get all your work done. But for Ruth, she is working hard. She is committed to providing for Naomi. <clears throat> but imagine going into work on Monday and getting all your work done. And now it's evening and she can go home. And God, through Boaz, had provided the abundance that would sustain her and Naomi. So yes, she's working hard, she's doing what she can, but God has provided an abundance and they would be fine for the foreseeable future. Ruth was doing all that she could. And again, God is doing what only he could by providing for her needs in such a powerful way. Our last point here is uh, that in God's providence, he provides for our joy. And so at this point of the day, Ruth is taking her ephah of barley home and she's, she's going back to Naomi. Let's read in verse 18 through 20. It says, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, actually one of our redeemers. I mean, this has been quite the day for Ruth. Ruth has woken up and had no idea what to do. She's been tired and, and sad. Her husband is gone and she's alone in a new city, but she's gone out and and basically had the best day that she could have possibly had for given her circumstances. Have you guys ever had a day where it just seems like you've been going and going and going all day long? You get to the end of the day and you run into somebody and they say, hey, what'd you do today? How was your day? And it's like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to explain to you all the things that I've done today. It would probably be easier if I told you all the things I didn't do today. I imagine that's what she's feeling, overwhelmed. But at the same time, she makes it a point to come back with Naomi and celebrate what God has done in her life. Naomi says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And as Ruth shares that it was the worthy man, Boaz, the man from the same clan as their family, they rejoice. They bless the man and the Lord and they lift up praises for the ways in which they had both been provided for. As I was reading this, I felt convicted at the times in which I go through my days, I get to the end and I feel overwhelmed, I feel tired. 
and I don't take a moment to, to stop and to pause and thank God for the ways that he has provided richly for me. And God is working on our campus. This is a, this is a spiritual thing. I, 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 Chase, Chase knows what I mean when I say this, but it seems like every week there's somebody that he and I, that he's sharing the gospel with or I've been praying for and sharing the gospel with. And it just, it just seems so interesting the way that God has provided us with such rich opportunities on our campus to make Christ known. God is providing, answering prayers that we've been praying for and asking for, for since the summer, things that we have been preparing for. And I should take the time to thank God for all that he's given us. This college ministry, all of you all, being here tonight is such a blessing. Not just tonight, but having this community, having a church family. These are all blessings that I think I take for granted. God's providence, his providential hand is working all around me. God is at work on our campus. He's at work in my life and work in our families and work in our homes and our dorms, on our floor, on our teams, wherever we find ourselves, God is working. Just as, as God brought Ruth despite her drastic circumstances to the exact place where he wanted her, he too has us exactly where he wants us to be. I hope you all believe that to be true. People are coming to faith all around us. People are asking questions all around us. May we never fail to thank God each and every day, just like Ruth did, and persistently be willing, just like Ruth did, to faithfully walk in obedience to God. As I was reading this and as I'm just thinking about my own life, <clears throat> I've been thinking back to the ways that God has providentially provided for me. This is my last semester here at WKU and it's, it's kind of weird how quickly it's coming to a close. But I remember when I was deciding to come to Western, it wasn't my first pick, uh, but I just had this overwhelming feeling that this is, this is where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to Western. Um, and so I asked God for a few things. My senior year, as I started praying and preparing, I asked God that he'd provide me with a, a church family. He would provide me with older and wiser men that could pour into my life and teach me the things of God. And that he would provide me with friends who are passionate about following Christ and making him known. Those are some bold prayers. And God answered richly. I was looking back through um, a notebook today, actually, and uh, Hunter's always challenged me, if you've ever been in a small group, I'm sure you've heard this from him. Uh, at the end of the semester, he challenges us to go back and write, write down just a couple things that God has been teaching you and uh, just answered prayers, the way that you've seen God work in your life. And uh, when I came to Western, I was in Hunter's small group, my first semester, my freshman year. And uh, I just so happened that today I came across this notebook. <clears throat> and in it, in it, I, uh, I flipped to this page and uh, it was the last day of our small group that day, my very first semester in college. And uh, I had the date written and I said, I just left Hunter, Hunter Sewell's house uh, from small group, thankful. And that's all it said, thankful. Because God has provided richly for me and given me a church family and given me friends and men and mentors and opportunities God is working around us providentially. He has plans for each and every one of our lives and he is seeing to it that they be done. When Jesus asks us to pray, the thing he asks us to pray is that his will be done 
but I'm here to tell you that even if you fail to pray it, his will be done in our lives and around us and in the world. But it's God's providence that brought me to living hope. It's God's providence that gave me godly friends and godly men to pour into my life. And it's God's providence that we're all in here tonight. It's God's providence that you're sitting where you're sitting. It's God's providence that you live where you live, that you're in the classes that you're in, the, the organizations, the fraternities, the sororities, the teams that you're on. All of these things are bigger than we often like to admit them to be. <clears throat> if you're a Christian in here tonight, if you say that you're a Christian in here tonight, I would challenge you to think back and write down all the ways that God has been working in your life. The ways that you've seen God be, show his providence to be true in your life. <clears throat> and if you're struggling to think of a moment where you have experienced God's providence, let us be reminded of the grace in the life of every believer that God has shown. Many of us here have accepted the truth of the gospel, the message of the gospel. And, as, and maybe as, as we've been reading Ruth 2 and as we studied Ruth last week, you are just in your mind, just so excited because this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of what God has done for us, that God has provided for our greatest need. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We're all guilty. And that because of this, we're living in eternal separation from God. We're doomed. There's nothing that we can do. But man's greatest need, if that's the truth, then man's, it is the truth. Since that's the truth, man's greatest need is our forgiveness from our sin. And God provided specifically for that need by sending Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He sent his son to earth who lived the life that I could not, died the death that I should have and rose again three days later that whoever believes in him shall not perish have eternal life, that we would stand guiltless before the man who took our place. And that is God's providential plan in our life. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our sins forgiven, our life eternal if we choose to follow Christ. And some of you here tonight, maybe you have not given your life to Christ. And this may be the very moment in time that God has brought you here in order to provide for that very need. And that is not cliche, that isn't just a coincidence that I'm saying that, because that is my story. That is our story, all of our story, as we have professed that Jesus is Lord. He has brought us to a point where we've recognized our need for him, and the only way that we can respond is the same way that we see Ruth respond in verse 10. Let's look at it one more time. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This is what Christ has done on our behalf, taking us not just from being a foreigner, not just from being an outsider, but from being an enemy to God, in opposition to God, to bringing us into his family, calling us his own, giving us the right of his servant, and offering us eternal life with him. If you would flip with me real quick to Ephesians chapter two, verses 12 through 13. It says, remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, 
in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just like Ruth. Just like Ruth. Just like Ruth too. God has seen our need and he's met it. And like Ruth, he's called us to step in to it and be faithful and answer the call that he has put before us. This is a beautiful truth that God has not just brought us in. He's not just said, you can, you can follow behind me. You can, you can you know, have the leftovers. He's brought us near. He's made us sons and daughters. He's provided for our, our greatest need. We, where we found ourselves like Naomi at the end of chapter one, confused and lost and frustrated, bitter and cold to God, he has led us to himself. Sinners, guilty, and yet Christ himself is reaching out to us, offering us the only solution that we need. And it does not make any sense. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And it didn't for Ruth either. That's the question that she asked. Why? Why have I found favor in your sight? She knows that she does not deserve the, the ways in which she has been provided for. I think sometimes that we become guilty of forgetting the gospel message. We forget its beauty and its depth. And uh, we forget the death that we were in before God brought us into his, his marvelous light. But there should be no other response to the gospel message than the one that we see here from Ruth in verse 10 of chapter two. Why, God, have you offered me life? Though an alien to your promise, an outsider to the family of God, though a stranger and an enemy to you, why have I found favor in your eyes? And I'm not sure, but we have. And it's in God's providence that he has provided for us. This is not just random chance. It is not just cliches and coincidences with God. This is God's plan for your life. And so in just a moment, the worship band's gonna come back up and I'm gonna pray for us. And I want us to have just a moment of reflection. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're here tonight and you haven't accepted the gospel message, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to do me a favor and ask me, why are you here tonight? You might just be here because a friend invited you and that's, that is fine. I'm glad that you're here. We're always glad that you're here. But why is it that you're here this night? And if you are a believer, if you have experienced the, the deep and providential love from God, then take a moment and just thank him. Even if you don't have anything to say, I imagine I, I had a lot to say about that semester, my first semester of college. It's actually interesting, as, as we were in worship, I was thinking about that semester, and I was thinking about how I actually had a kind of a, a hard time coming to, to wrestle with the idea of God's sovereignty in his providence. But in his providence, we're here tonight, and God has provided an opportunity for me to reconcile those emotions with you all tonight and with him and proclaim the riches and the truths of God's providential hand in the world right now. And God is providing for us, for all of us. And that is a comforting truth. And so as they come up here and as they, as they sing, uh, just take a moment and thank God. Maybe you're still unsure of what life will look like for you or what you're gonna major in or what season of life you're about to walk into. But let me remind you that your greatest need has been met if you will just accept it. Your greatest need has been met. It is sure your salvation in Christ is secure. And before I pray, I wanna share with you all 
one of my favorite verses that reminds me of this. It's Jude chapter 24 and 25. This, this, is, this is how sure our, our, our salvation in the Lord is. It says, now to him, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. In God's providence, he will not just bring us to himself, but he will keep us in himself to the end. And that's a glorious gift. Let's pray. Father God, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness. God, as I think back about my life and about the ways in which that you have provided for me, God, I am so thankful. God, and tonight as we study the book of Ruth, I pray that it would just become wildly, wildly clear to us the way that you are working in us and through us and around us. And that as we leave this place, God, that we would continue looking for these, these ways. God, I thank you for the story of Ruth. God, the way that you have um, brought her into Bethlehem is miraculous in and of itself, but the way that you are going to redeem her and use her for your glory is even more beautiful. So God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship and praise your name. God, and I pray that we would never lose sight of the truth and the wonder and the glory of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>